Hello, everybody. We are back with episode 81 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and I'm always so happy that you've decided to put us in your podcast listener app of your choice. And as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great, Eric. Excited for this week's episode. Me too. I know you've been doing some a bit of a business travel lately, so welcome back. Glad everything's working out well for you there, but life uh, life never settles down for a consultant in this space, right? <laughs> nope, not quite, which is a good thing. That's right. The more the, more the better, as they say. Well, and, and I'm very happy to say with this particular issue, I want to give a special congratulations to our newest curator, Sam Palmer, for his very first Art Weekly Issue Curation. And so Sam, awesome job, my friend. Um, he, he's a very sharp guy. I actually know him a bit personally, so it was gratifying to see him uh, contribute to our team. He's already been an immense help, and we're going to dive right into this issue today. And as always, Sam had great help from our fellow our weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world. Mike, I'm not going easy on you this time. I'm going to put you on the spot right away here. Uh Here we go. Buckle up, buddy. So (laughs) if I told you that there was a time in R's history where key developers within the R community were looking to enrich R with the ability to create intuitive graphical user interfaces, which tapped into existing toolkits, but had native R functions serving as the abstraction layer to those toolkits. What do you think that effort led to? Whew, I don't know. Maybe uh, TCLTK? Wow, you are a, a great historian of it. I thought you were going to say Shiny. I was thinking Shiny. I, I thought this might have been a trick question. Yeah, you, you know me too well. Now, the thing is, they're both correct. But what we're talking about for the first highlight is that this kind of conversation was happening way back in 2001, which is a long time ago by tech standards. But yes, indeed, Peter Delgard, one of the earliest R-Core members, was exploring opportunities to create graphical user interfaces within R. And he didn't want to invent a brand new toolkit to do it. He wanted to see what was out there in the community, and that's where he did settle upon TCLTK. It had already been used by other languages at the time, such as Perl and even the early stages of Python, to give what I'll call native a native uh, language, its own kind of DSL language, if you will, to create these interfaces. And so Peter thought, well, why not put an R wrapper on top of that? And that's how the package in R called TCLTK was born. And you might be wondering, well, whatever ended up happening with that? Well, back in those early days, there were some interesting GUIs that were produced in R with this at the backbone. One of which that I remember pretty well from my very early days of R, uh, interface called R Commander, written by John Fox many, many years ago, that gave R a way to turn it into almost like an SPSS-like interface where you had menu options and and other configurations to run some of the basic uh, statistical analysis models or inference tests and the like. Well, let's fast forward, obviously, to maybe say about 10 years ago, Shiny was born. We all know the impact of Shiny by now, especially if you've been listening to Mike and I uh, on this podcast routinely. 
and also in the general tech sector of you know web applications often backed by javascript certainly that has taken a lot of the mind share in terms of gui development where you can run these on your computer but more Broadly, these can be deployed on any web service and you can give just a simple link to somebody and then they can experience these uh, applications themselves. Well, it wasn't like that back in the old days, but what's interesting is that what's old is new again, so to speak. So in our first highlight today, um, no stranger to these highlights in the past, Mike FC, affectionately known as Cool But Useless, um, went down a very interesting uh, adventure here where it was about a month ago he reached out on Twitter with the RSTAS hashtag and wondered what kind of happened before Shiny in terms of graphical user interface development. And a few ideas were thrown out there and one of them was TCLTK. Now, I'll be polite in saying that these applicate these interfaces built with the TCLTK kind of have their you might say, a prehistoric look to them. They're not exactly styled with CSS libraries. You kind of know it when you see it. But Mike FC thought, why not, why not take a modern approach to this? Can we take this in a different direction? Well, he has, and that's how the package, Tickle, has been born, which we're going to be talking about in this highlight today. And so what Tickle is aiming to do is to basically be that abstraction layer on top of TCLTK, but give a more friendly interface to some of the more common operations for user interface design. This should sound kind of familiar because that's kind of like what Shiny's trying to do. But I'm happy to say that Tickle does have, even in my first explorations of this that I did the other night, pretty intuitive ways to start getting up and running quickly with building your first interface based with Tickle. So Mike, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about kind of the, the backbone of, of Tickle and kind of the functional paradigm that it exposes to our users here. Well, I might have to ask you a little bit more about the, the backbone because I'm not 100% sure. So Shiny, you know, was built to do this rendering of the UI in the browser, correct? Sure. Yeah. And this TCL tickle, um, is that not necessarily rendering in the browser? Is that rendering someplace So else? it's basically rendering with the, the TCL TK toolkit on that person's computer. So it's no, no browser involved here. It's just simply a different toolkit. And I think what, what Mike FC has done here is he's, he's kind of seen like what I saw, that if you just write something to that, TCLTK package itself. Um, nothing against it, but it's a little bit difficult to navigate with its functional paradigm. So what I'm seeing here is that there's some nice wrappers on top of it that Mike FC has built, but still at the backbone of it, much like how Shiny has, you know, JavaScript and React kind of at its backbone. Um, Tickle itself has the TCLTK tool. Everything's done locally on the computer system or the user's computer locally, and there's no web browser involved with this. So I guess that leads to like an in interesting potential conversation getting back to shiny like maybe desktop apps mm -hmm. as opposed to, right. So um, 
Yeah, it, it's it's very, very interesting. I think we're still pretty early in Mike's exploration of this, but he's starting to put together um, some pretty cool some pretty cool developments in terms of our packages that he's developing and exploring. This is version 0.1.1, and it's really comprised of four different families of functions. Um, tick underscore functions, T-I-C, for nested creation of a UI that looks a lot like how you would nest UIs in, in Shiny. It's not that far off. Um, render UI, which is function, uh, I guess, is the exact same name as what you would get uh, if you were developing Shiny to, to render that UI spec that you created into a window on screen. Then reactive underscore family of functions to create react reactive values. You know, this is all sounding very Shiny-like, used to transfer values between the UI and R. And then canvas underscore family of functions to do some simple drawing and manipulation on Canvas widgets. Um, there, there's some really nice documentation on the package down site for Tickle, including a section called containers, which shows the different UI layouts that are available, um, as well as a section called widgets, which shows the gallery of the different widgets that are available in the package. And you have all the usual sp suspects like radio buttons, checkboxes, text boxes, uh, sliders, you know, all, all the different uh, widgets that you could want. It does look a little, you know, <laughs> you said you were going to be nice and then you called it prehistoric. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it, when you, you know, are, are leveraging Bootstrap 4 and 5 and Shiny like we have with the, the ability to do with BSLib nowadays, it, it's it's not comparable to, to what you're getting in terms of UI um, from, from stuff like this. But, you know, I, I could see we're just at the beginning of this ecosystem. So who knows where it's going to go? Yeah. And, and I do credit Mike FC for trying to theme it up a little bit on, on kind of the underpinnings to make it take some of the, the nicer elements of, you might say, modern design. Now you can only do so much. I mean, he's definitely gone pretty far with this and it sounds like he's not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, but I think there, there is a, like you alluded to earlier, um, there is a conversation to be had about, kind of where does this fit in the bigger picture? Uh, one key point that we did allude to is that this is not meant for like a browser-based deployment. This is meant to be run on somebody's ins own installation of R because you literally need to launch R and then launch whatever functions are producing this interface that you're making with Tickle. So that can be both an advantage and a disadvantage perhaps. Now, uh, we have seen some people ask, some of you ask me or others personally on, on Twitter or other venues about how do we best, say, deploy, you might call a self-contained Shiny app. So that instead of somebody going to a, a browser that's served up by something like Shiny Server or RStudio Connect or Shiny Apps IO, that they could run that app locally on their machine. There aren't great solution. I mean, there have been attempts at a solution to this. We're not quite there yet. And I actually know one of the authors of one of those solutions. So shout out to Chase Clark for his um, work with Electric Shiny or Electric Shine. It's not quite there yet. And he admits it's a lot of things to jump through. So perhaps something like Tickle is good for that situation where you know you're not meant to deploy this to the World Wide Web or like a, a general web server. You just want somebody with an R installation to quickly boot up a GUI and do stuff with it. Perhaps that's the best place for it. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And maybe, you know, right now it would be just for some sort of a small job to, to I don't know, move a file from one place to another or to just click on a file, you know, take a look at the data in a ggplot or something like that. I, I don't know how uh, production you could get with, with Tickle. Um, but, you know, like I said, the, the way that the widgets line up in, in the Tickle package with a lot of the stuff that we get in Shiny, you know, you have the ability to, I think, up, select files on, on your local computer, just like we have the ability to do in Shiny. Right. You even have the ability to, uh, th there's a, a widget that lets you pick a particular color, which might, uh, on like a hex palette, that might help you with theming and things like that. So there, there's some interesting features here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for the engagement on the community for this, because I'm always kind of on the lookout for other other capabilities to, to provide interfaces if there is a, a use case for it. Um, now, yeah, in my day-to-day -day production, probably not, but I could see this as an interesting exercise from a technical standpoint to see how somebody approaches putting a friendly abstraction upon, again, I'll try to be polite here, a, a slightly senior toolkit that maybe wasn't really touched a whole lot about in the last say, five years or so. Um, it's still out there, still functioning, but um, yeah, we're obviously not exactly the uh, most engaged community around it as there is. It might be it might be more cool than it is useless. We'll have to find uh, out. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a great way to summarize that up. Um, there's definitely been, uh, you might say, some interesting uh, dialogue on social media lately about the R language itself and maybe some of its common traits. Um, and that's actually spurred on um, a pretty neat, you might say, a critique on the perspectives that someone might have when they're trying to learn a language. So uh, another uh, good friend of the of the um, R Weekly Highlights is back at it again. So Mike, why don't you tell us about what you found out about a learning journey perspectives of R. Yeah, we have a great blog from Bruno Rodriguez, who I think this stemmed from a, a tweet that he had put out. He wrote a blog around that tweet. And you might remember him from a few episodes ago as the author of the Chronicler package, where he walked us through the concept of monads, which we had to take our time doing. But he's back this week with a more of like a philosophical type of blog that contemplates whether or not R is a difficult language to learn. Um, you know, I, I think it's no secret that there are plenty of Twitter eggs out there who love to stir the pot and start so-called programming language wars. And a lot of these shots tend to be taken at R. But, and Bruno argues that R will always be arcane to those who do not make a serious effort to learn it. I think arcane is kind of a strong word. But, you know, you can't call something trash just because you don't understand it, right? That's just a really childish way to approach new things. And I think that's sort of the, the point that he's trying to make. And I would agree with him. I wouldn't make the blanket statement that R is easy. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you would necessarily, but um, you know, I think it depends on a lot of different factors. And, and Bruno opened up about his experience first learning R from professors who really abstracted away the language itself and literally told him there's no need to learn R in great detail. We're studying economics, not programming. And he talked about how frustrated he was because his teachers weren't taking the time to actually provide some education around the language itself that he you know, was using to do his work. 
And this actually resonated pretty heavily with me as my first introduction to learning R was just a professor telling us where to download R in R Studio, providing us with some pre-written R markdown files, telling us to fill in some blanks that he left in the code and then just click knit and send him the PDF output. And obviously my knitter crashed like the first three times. I had no idea what was going on <laughs> in the, uh, you know, in the console when I was trying to knit, it was, you know, pretty overwhelming, but you know, we didn't really didn't spend uh, time to learn about how R or the R studio IDE worked, And it made things very confusing for me. I, I don't know, Eric, do you want to reflect for a minute on your first time learning R to do a little compare and contrast? I remember as if it was yesterday, but it was uh, <laughs> quite long ago to put it mildly, but I had a professor in grad school that was teaching a time series course. And uh, up to that point, my only experience had been with, um, Yes, I'll say it's SAS um, for my previous school days. But then in this graduate school department, they're using this, this language called R. And I remember in the first homework and one of the lectures to introduce the homework, he shared, shared on his uh, screen a terminal connected to R itself, gave us a couple of quick snippets of code, and then just asked us to do the homework. And if we got stuck, just look up the documentation. Not exactly telling us about our kind of, you know, functional paradigm or how you inspect objects or inspect data sets. It was just kind of like, here's your homework. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. Now, thank goodness I had obviously fellow students that we could all learn together on this, especially for those of us that have never seen it before. But I, I dare say that wasn't the ideal way to, to start out with it. Um, I would say that it wasn't until my dissertation that I really had frankly the time but also the motivation to really get into how the language works now did i have a lot of help along the way honestly no it was still more of a self kind of driven effort but i think going through that exercise obviously prepared me for appreciating what we have today uh, for sure so again much like what bruno was saying i didn't have the most ideal experience at first with it but coming from somebody who, yes, I had a minor in computer science, but I still didn't really get into like these language idiosyncrasies of key differences. I still was able to learn R effectively because I had the right perspective in mind. I was going to school for statistics. R was written by statisticians for, at that time, statisticians. So once you got, once I got the hang of it, I had no issue with the way it, R was doing certain things. And then as I got to know it better, I figured out ways of making my experience better. Um, but I can, I can see where if you have a bad experience of a language at first, it might you know, cloud your judgment a little bit, perhaps. But to Bruno's main point, I think the time you invest in it, you also need not just the time, you also need the right perspective. And I think sometimes that gets... That gets a little lost in some of these uh, Twitter spats that I'm seeing these days. No, I totally agree. It, and I personally really think that it does come down. Well, you know, one of the biggest things that can make or break you at the beginning of your R journey is whether or not you have somebody to, to help you out along the way who's maybe a little bit further along than you are. Right. You, sounds like you did not have that, Eric. So kudos to you for, for getting as far as you did. And I did not have that for the first, first maybe year or two of writing R. And I didn't get very far. And then I finally uh, found a great mentor who really 
took me to the next level and, and helped show me how to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish using the language. And that's, that's sort of the whole, the whole kit and caboodle here. You know, I couldn't imagine going to like Rice University and having Hadley teach my stats class. Not only would I understand R much better, but I'm sure I would have understood stats a lot quicker <laughs> as, as well. Um, because for me, when I can code it, I can understand it a lot better. Right. But Anyways, back to, back to the blog. You know, now that Bruno has been working with R for, for many years, he asked himself the question, well, how fluent does anyone actually need to be in R? Um, he essentially concludes that you should try to master the parts of R that you need. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a data viz enthusiast, take the time to really dig into ggplot. And if you need to develop web apps in R, you know, invest the time to learn Shiny. And I think that's a good perspective to take because, you know, we're never going to learn everything, uh, whether you call yourself a data scientist or a data analyst or, or data engineer or whatnot. Um, I don't think it necessarily matters as long as you are learning about and mastering the, the particular set of skills that you need to accomplish the tasks that you need to accomplish. So, you know, while it's anybody's opinion as to whether R is an easy or a difficult language to learn, you know, Bruno does point out, like we've said many, many times before, Eric, you know, there are so many resources available, both freely available or paid courses and books, but, you know, no amount of free or paid content, like you said, will be enough if you don't actually invest the time to learn the language. There's no secret recipes and shortcuts, unfortunately, but um, a really cool, like philosophical, reflective blog by, by Bruno here. So it was nice to mix it up. Yeah, they're ref it's refreshing to, to, to see these come through. Um, and you might say I'm also a little bit of a historian, so to speak, because I've seen so many different, you might say, evolutions, even in the language itself and frankly, the community around it. It's great that at least I have the, the chance to kind of draw back on what it was like when I was saying grad school versus now. But if you're listening to this and you're new to R and you're, you're maybe at this point where you're kind of struggling with how to solve some issues in your, in your learning journey, as Mike, you said, please, please take advantage of some of the resources out there. I mean, I, I could spend a whole number podcast just about that alone, but one that also comes to mind, especially if you're coming at this from the data science and statistics angle is definitely think about joining the R4DS community on Slack. They are so supportive. Um, I know, you know, Tom Mock has been involved with that. John Harmon helps run some of that. And they have book clubs as well. So you can learn with others as you're reading one of these great free books that are out there, such as R for Data Science or some of the new ones that are coming out these days. Don't hesitate to jump into that. It's a welcoming com community. And not to sound like that guy, but if we didn't have these communities back then, or if they were, they were on a listserv somewhere, and I was too uh, naive to figure out where they were <laughs> back in those days. So I think take advantage of this. They're out there for a reason. Yep. Back when strings as factors equaled true. Um, <laughs> for anybody, uh, any other nerds out there that got that one. But exactly. And I was going to second if you didn't say it i was i was absolutely going to say it i can't second that enough the r for data science slack community yeah um, it's like a stack overflow that's friendlier more collaborative and specifically for r it's awesome yeah absolutely and and also for technical help we want to plug our studio community as well they're also very uh, welcoming there especially um, teaching some great things that i did not know back in those days about 
how to get help effectively. We talked about reprexes before. That's also something you want to invest in, especially if you see where the issue is happening and you don't know how to solve it. That is an excellent way for having others help you more effectively. So great, great content from Bruno as always. And if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, definitely check it out. He has some really fun videos out there that really dive into some uh, specifics on the language and some of the adventures he's been doing or Chronicler and some of the other efforts in the past. But but don't stop at that. There's a whole lot to dive into in every issue of Art Weekly. Some of the other things that uh, caught my eye, I want to put a plug for certainly a very niche kind of package, but one that can serve me pretty well. A new package came out called Headliner, where it's an interesting way where if you have a metric of a result, maybe from a like a like an inference test or a comparison of like group means or something, you get that final number, it's going to actually help you put in a little bit of automated like summary or descriptive text around that that number so that you could plug that into a more automated reporting mechanism, such as maybe a box showing a metric in a shiny app or maybe in an R markdown report where depending on the data you're feeding into it, you might get like a positive or maybe a quote negative result. And you can quickly get that summary text spun up in there right away where before what I would do, I'd have a whole bunch of if else's like if this result is higher than some value, do this chunk of markdown text and if not do this chunk. So it's kind of like a, a step in that direction. So again, very kind of targeted use case, but I think that's a, that's a promising uh, package that's been authored by uh, Jake. I don't have his last name, but uh, shout out to Jake for putting it out there for us. Yeah, I saw that one come across and it's sort of like a glue like syntax a little bit, right? With the way that yes, you very much specify so. those headlines. It looks really clean, really nice. And I, I don't think it's that niche. I think there's a ton of different applications potentially for, uh, for that package, which is awesome. A highlight that I saw um, was everybody loves a good integration. So let's talk about our studio workbench uh, in integrating with Azure machine learning platform, which is a way to essentially utilize all your Azure resources in Azure's ML platform um, in terms of data and compute uh, within our studio workbench instance. So for, for those folks that use our studio workbench and also use the Azure cloud, this might be a chance to bring those two worlds uh, together for you. Yeah, that's uh, interesting development in this space. And we shouldn't be too surprised to see this for a couple of reasons, but we know that Microsoft themselves has been kind of trying to invest a bit in using R in, in their various infrastructure. Um, it wasn't, it seems like long ago now, but it doesn't seem that way where they were baking R support into SQL Server. Um, but this seems like the next step with their um, Azure offering to make it easy for data science teams to quickly spin up a familiar IDE like our studio into their into their uh, deployment platform. So yeah, exciting to see this. Yeah, it, I, I've been pretty impressed with um, Microsoft's investments in R. They have a, a GitHub repo with a bunch of different R packages that help you integrate with all sorts of different Microsoft services from within R, which is nice. I know there was a data science hangout, I think, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe maybe a month or two ago at, at this point where some folks from Microsoft were talking about Shiny apps that they have developed to view um, you know, all of their, their compute 
that's running at any given time in a particular region, which is is really, really cool to see. Yeah, that's gets really fun to me. I've been actually doing some stuff internally where we're trying to visualize more effectively the usage of our internal HPC cluster. But yeah, Shiny's great for that kind of stuff. <laughs> we don't need don't to tell to Mike or I twice about that. <laughs> had to throw in some sort of a Shiny plug at the end, exactly. Yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll never stop there, of course. Um, but hope you don't stop uh, reading our weekly. It's always a great issue every single week. And again, congrats to Sam for a fantastic release and the hope of many more um, as he's joined our team. And if you want to get involved, we're always looking for more help on the curation side. So just head to rweekly.org. You'll find links to our GitHub page and you'll see very uh, clear information about how you can get lined up to join our weekly. And certainly if you find a great blog post, package, or anything you think would be useful for the R Weekly audience to see, um, we're just a pull request away from our draft every week. So please uh, get in touch with us on GitHub for that as well. Well, that will do it. Um, oh, we, we can't close up shop without telling them where to find our awesome co-host here, Mike. Uh, where can people find you online? Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. At, if you can find the right Michael Thomas, I'm out there. That's right. And of course, don't forget about Ketchbrook Analytics for all your uh, data science consulting needs as well. Thank you. Checks in the mail, as you would say. Of course it is. Uh, <laughs> um, I am at the RCast, and yeah, my uh, my days are definitely spent on balancing day job and workshop prep, but I'm really excited. Our City of Comp is coming closer, and I'm very humbled to say that my workshop um, is going to definitely have more than one person there. So <laughs> it's getting real, as they say. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. It's going yes. to be awesome. Anybody that attends is going to be lucky. Oh, well, we'll find out one way or another. But, uh, but thanks to all of you out in the world for listening to us. And we will be back with another edition of our weekly highlights next week.